White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 613. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Here we are again. It is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast starring Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. I'm Van Allen Plexico and I'm joined as always by my co-host Andy Fix. How are you doing tonight, Andy? Van, I am doing absolutely wonderful. How are you doing? Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a little while since we've gotten to do a show because we've had various things going on. Mostly I've had a lot of things going on that have kept me away from the podcasting studio. For those that are interested, the James Bond on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast team, that's another show that I co-host, we all went out to Los Angeles last weekend and recorded uh, a show and some video from the Peterson Automotive Museum in L.A., their big James Bond, Bond in Motion exhibit. So I spent last Saturday in amongst all the various James Bond vehicles, and that was a lot of fun. So, But that's why I, you know, I was preparing for that trip and everything, and uh, really didn't have the opportunity to watch the shows and get ready for this show properly, and I wanted to do it right, so... Uh, you're, are you you're going all Hollywood on us? <laughs> yeah, come back with sunglasses and all that. Yeah, are you a big Bond fan? I can't remember. I'm pretty sure you are. I am. You know, I am a huge Bond fan. At least the the up until um, Daniel Craig. I'm not a huge Daniel Craig fan. Right. Yeah. Me either. Yeah. He he's just he's but, too different from the others. I think. Right. I grew up watching the Connery and the um, Roger Let, Moore. Yeah. Oh, Roger Moore. My hmm. the Roger Moore. Bond movies were, were a blast. They were yeah. goofy as, as all get out, but they were a blast. They're fun. Yeah. And he's charming. Yeah. He has a lot of he has more charm yeah. than anybody that's ever lived. Absolutely. Absolutely. So <laughs> well anyway, yeah, we got to see the and and one of our one of our co hosts, Alan J. Porter, is part of the Ian Fleming Foundation that actually restores those they go out and find them around the world and restore them. And he was telling us stories about where they found some of those, like the the silver speedboat that Roger Moore drives in Moonraker that goes over the waterfall, you know, with this, with the hang glider, they yeah. actually they actually found it. Somebody had cut the entire top of it off and was using it as a bass fishing boat in Florida, <laughs> and it just makes your heart hurt to think about things like that. So they actually bought that it. Is insane. Yeah, they actually restored the whole thing. They built new mines and torpedoes and everything for the back end of it, and. It looks beautiful. So, yeah, it was a really neat get, treat get to do that. I wish that Babylon 5 could do something like that. I wish there was a place you could go and they had, like, all the props. You could sit in yeah. the council chamber, you know, and, <laughs> and <laughs> vote on stuff and uh, make fun of the spray-painted plywood and all, you know. Right, and, uh, you can go to your local high school and, you know, do that. <laughs> oh, man. But that would be so – if they had, like, the life-size uh, sky – 
Star Furies that they sat in, you know, and everything. That you know, they had my my buddy used to live right around the corner from that uh, that uh, warehouse, and he said they he saw when they when they threw that thing away. The uh, it was just <sighs> one one Star Fury um, cockpit, mm-hmm. and uh, he watched them take it out with the fork. It was on a pallet attached to a pallet, and he watched them take it out with, with a forklift and dump it right in the dumpster. Oh my gosh! Didn't they? Yeah. It's just hard to believe just, that they would. Right. Mm. They had to make room for those hot tubs. <laughs> That's right. Some things are more important, I guess. Well, <laughs> well. Anyway, here we are. We I did I did run um, a conversation that Bobby Polite and I had almost ten years ago at the twentieth anniversary. So I hope folks had a good time listening to that. I know that it was dated and that some of the stuff is not the same views I have today. But I still thought it'd be fun to hear Bobby and me talking about it, and 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 that gave us something to put out to folks while we were not doing the show. But now we're ready to do the show. So. I don't know that you and I have you and I spoken here to our audience or with each other since the word came out that Babylon 5's reboot has been postponed a year. I can't remember if we've talked about that. We have not talked about that. Well, now we have. <laughs> it's been <Right>? post- <laughs> it's been postponed for a year, meaning that um, what basically I'm sure most folks know, but if you don't know, what JMS basically said was that the the CW is going through some changes. It has a new owner and everything coming in. And usually if a pilot doesn't get made the year it's supposed to, they just throw it away and don't worry about it. But this is like that one time that they said, hey, we like this. Let's just hold off until we get everything settled down and we'll try to do it next year. So, you know, as with anything to do with Hollywood, it's never a done deal until it's aired because I was going to say until it's done, but even stuff that's been done, you maybe get as a bonus on a DVD or something, you know, it doesn't always air. So I'll only believe this exists when it airs. And until then it's still hypothetical, you know? Yep, absolutely. And, and JMS sounded pretty positive about it. Um, he did his tweets and, and his, his social media posts seemed to indicate that it was de- if it was going to be a no, it would have been a hard no, and yeah. JMS wouldn't have hi- tried to hide it or anything like that. He would he would definitely say, yeah, it's not going to happen. But uh, this this sounds like that it's uh, that everybody on, at, at WB is really high on this still, and uh, they they are definitely wanting to do it. But yeah, like you said, there's just um, logistics issues mm-hmm. getting in the way, and they thought it'd be better to push it off a year. That makes sense. It does. As long as it doesn't kill it, it yep. makes sense. And you, I think you and I are both firmly in the camp of let's do it and see you know, if it's good or not rather than don't even do it. I, I, I can kind of understand where people are coming from with that view. I sympathize when you've been disillusioned so many times that you don't even want to see an attempt at something like that. But I have a 13-year-old daughter. She's never going to watch the current the, the, the Babylon 5 we have. There's just no way she would sit down and watch that show for a number of reasons. But if they do it over again and make it look more modern and have it a little more like a show you would see in the 2020s instead of the 1990s, I think she would give it a chance. And that's the point. This is not to make people happy from the from our time. It, that we're just, you know, we're just bonus for them. They are aiming this at whole new generations of viewers and that's cool. That's fine. You know, why not? So we'll see. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. They're, and they're wanting to make this a, a, a big, huge franchise. I mean, they're, they're not wanting to, to do the nostalgia thing or anything like that. Just to, They're not trying to continue on the series for the fans that watched the series back in the 90s. They're, right. They're trying to introduce this to a whole new 
spectrum of people. And, and, and science fiction fandom is much bigger and, and more mainstream now than it was back then. So, Well, I mean, just imagine if Doctor Who had ended after, like, Tom Baker, and when they came back uh, and were going to do um, Christopher Eccleston and, um, and uh, David Tennant, for example... Uh, people had said, no, 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 that'll just ruin the show. Let's just stick with Tom Baker, the, the first four doctors. We don't need like a, a new doctor in the late 2000s, you know. So we've been, they'd have miss, missed out on all those great Doctor Who episodes from those years with those guys. So, right. you know, it's and new, new to generations. To be perfectly honest, it, it, that's exactly how I watched Doctor Who. The last time I watched Doctor Who uh, up until the reboot was tom baker back Mm -hmm. in the 80s early 80s and then i didn't watch doctor who ever since then and then boom you know christopher ecclestone's on tv and i watched that and i got hooked again so yeah absolutely if it if it works like that then it should be fantastic that's pretty much me too yeah and my daughter so there you go um well a couple of things we're closing in on six thousand downloads on the main feed i occasionally update that just because it's so cool that we have that many folks listening and i want to make them happy and i'm we appreciate them and I've seen some folks on social media talking about our show, and I really appreciate that. Spread the word. Um, let's see. Um, I point out that we don't have ads, so if you want to help the show continue, <clears throat> then we are on Patreon. Just go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, and click on the Become a Patron box and get access to special features and this, that, and the other. <clears throat> Excuse me. I am planning on doing some more special features. Um, but haven't had an opportunity yet. We want to, our main priority is to keep the main show going. And I think that what I've found over the years doing Patreon stuff is that what people primarily want to support is the main thing, right? They just want to help you do the main thing regularly at the same time, the same, you know, same day. And that's what we want to do. So every now and then, you know, we have issues that come along, but we're going to keep trying to put it out regularly. So, um, let's see, we, I, I, I did notice by the way, we're now on audible, so on, on your Audible app, you can actually go to the podcast settings and find this show. So that's pretty cool, pretty handy, like on your phone or whatever. Uh, and then lastly, remember, we don't give out spoilers as best we can during the show. We save them for after the warning signal from the jump gate, where we go into spoiler space. That being said, do you have any other announcements or points of order before we get into our first episode tonight, Andy? I do not. All right. I'm ready to roll. Let's do it. We begin the big, big, big season three tonight. And I mean, this is the season that probably, if you, I'm just going to say this and then you tell me if I'm wrong and we'll see if the listeners agree or disagree. But I think this is the season that most people would probably vote was the best season. Now, I know that some people might say season four in the sense that that's where you get the answers to the setup from this season. And, you know, and some people like season one for reasons we've talked about. And some people really enjoy season two because it's Sheridan kind of doing season one stuff. I don't think anybody's going to say season five is the best. It's not, not that it's <laughs> terrible, but I don't think anybody's going to say that for circumstances that we'll get to as we go along. But would you say this is probably the one people like the best or is this second best? What do you think? No, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and, and I love season four. So um, mm-hmm. I, I would it's a very season four is a very close second place to season three. Season three is just really good because this is when it really, really hits its stride. You know, you, you've passed your midpoint that it's, it's time for, you know, the good guys to take it to the, take it to the bad guys. And and Mm. they start acting instead of reacting. And Sheridan even flat out says that in in the episode tonight. 
It, I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, they get their own ship that they can start flying around in. You yep. know, we start seeing the Rangers playing a bigger role. Um, it it it's really it it ramps it up uh, the story up quite a deal. So yeah, this is it's 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 one of the best seasons of television that I've ever watched. This is true. There's no doubt. This is abs- In fact, my little audio clip I always use on our football show is from Kingdom of Heaven, where I say, "This is true." <laughs> so I'll hit that because it was handy. <laughs> it was nearby. Um, okay, so 301 is Matters of Honor. And that title is interesting because for the longest time, you might ask, what does it really have to do with anything? And I'm going to, I'll give you my thoughts on it when we kind of get toward the end. And I want to see what you think. But as we all, as I always say, do you want to kick off or defer to the second half on describing the episode? I will kick this one off. I can all do right. that. Let's do it. So, uh, a outlying, a very small outlying colony, I think it was Zargo 7 is attacked by the um well by somebody we assume it's the 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 centauri or the shadows or both and uh a ranger uh makes a daring escape with the help of uh, a drazi and we saw a drazi sunhawk again which was really cool yes um so and that that's of course marcus cole who becomes a, a major player in season three and four so marcus makes his escape and makes it to babylon five where he uh recruits um delan and sheridan and ivanova to take a trip to uh, the new the new White Star, mm-hmm. um, the ra- I guess it's built specifically for the Rangers. So we get the we get to see the White Star, and then um, all, while all that's going on, uh, investigator from Earth Force is on Babylon Five trying to dig up information on what exactly happened to the the late lamented Warren Keffer. Yeah. They have his gun. They have his gun camera video, and they see the ship. So they're trying to dig up what exactly that ship is. And I got to tell you, as many times as I've seen this episode, they always fake me out with Mister Indawi being clueless about what the shadow ship is. I, this, I don't. For some reason, I can't ever get it through my head that it's all a scam. I don't think Indawi's in on it. I don't think Indawi's in on the scam. He genuinely doesn't know and thinks he's supposed to be finding out. But of course, that's not what right. he's there for at all. That's not remotely what he's there for. <laughs> he, right. he, they know. I'm sitting the whole time. I'm like, how do they not know what that ship is? How do they not know? <laughs> you know, this is like if this is like if Hitler sent a Nazi to find out what the Hindenburg was, and you're like, <laughs> how does how do they not know what that is? It's got a big swastika on the side of it, you know. And then you realize at the end, oh, they're not trying to find out what it was. They're trying to find out who knows what it was. Exactly. Yeah. So that was really cool. That was really slick. And I give them, I give them an A-plus for that. All right. So this was episode production number 301. So it was produced in the proper order. Originally aired November 6th, 1995. And I'm trying to think what was going on in November of 1995, but nothing really stands out in my mind particularly this was the third year of the clinton administration other than that i don't really remember much about november of 1995 other than a few football factoids it was written by and nobody wants to hear that it was written by jms of course we're in that long stretch that we were talking about before many times where he wrote all of them directed by kevin crimen and I'm not really familiar with him. I, you know, for the for the leadoff for the season, you'd have thought they'd have bring in a big name. He's not on the Mount Rushmore of Babylon Five directors, so to my knowledge, so I I don't know much about him. But uh, if you do, chime in. Otherwise, I will tell you the guest stars. 
Um, I, I don't. I, he he did a, a a fine job, but I I don't I didn't recognize his yeah, name at all. I agree. Um, two guest stars I have of note this time: Tucker Smallwood as Mister Indawi, David Indawi, uh, who's kind of cool, and Ed Wasser as the beloved dastardly Morden. Yay! Our favorite um, Rod Serling of evil is back, so that was cool. Uh, I have a few random factoids. Do you have any no- factoids or notes you want to throw out, Andy? Uh, the only, well, I have two small ones. I, I thought they were, I saw at the very beginning, they're repairing the, uh, the shuttle, the shuttle inside the, the station, the tram, I guess, which I thought yes. was a nice little touch. They were repairing yep. the, the track for that. That was kind of cool. And Marcus's, uh, Minbari fighting pike. He mentions that it was given to him by a friend. That friend was Jeffrey Sinclair. Ah, uh, yeah. So where did you get that knowledge from? I got that knowledge from perusing the internet. Okay. I'm not sure exactly where that, I, yeah. I, I was, I, I do a lot of Googling. I was thinking that maybe that might be something that's mentioned in To Dream in the City of Sorrows. That could be. I'm not sure. Maybe that's where this, this, this right. particular person found that information from. Yeah. I haven't read that book in 30 years, so I don't remember. I've got it right here behind right. me. I can I can literally reach my left hand back here and pull that book off the shelf because my whole Babylon 5 shelf is right here behind me. Uh, in fact, I've got the Babylon 5 encyclopedia upstairs. After, after the show, I might go look that up. It's probably in there, either under Marcus Cole or Fighting Pike or something like that. But that's a very right. cool one. That, I totally believe it. it. That's an excellent book, by the way, an excellent resource. If, if you guys, if any of our listeners can find that uh, Babylon 5 encyclopedia, it's worth the money. It's really cool. Yeah, there's an online version and there's a hardcover two-volume version. And I've got the hard, I've got, it was funny when I bought the hardcover two-volume version, it was when they had, um, they had a handful of them that were supposed to go to reviewers. So they said autographed copy on them, but they weren't autographed. So they had to sell them at a discount. So I got them pretty cheap. And the way that they phrased the ad was that you got the online access too. And when I bought it, I didn't get the online access. And I messaged them and said, hey, you know, what's up? I didn't, I was, it said in the ad I was supposed to get it. And they're like, oh, it wasn't supposed to say that. So now we have to give it to you. So <laughs> uh. I, got, I got the online and the hardcovers for like, you know, very cheap. I don't even remember how much it was, but it was just a fraction of what it's supposed to cost. I was very lucky, very, very lucky. And I'm, and I'm grateful that they were cool enough to go ahead and honor, you know, what it said because they weren't, it wasn't what it's supposed to be. Um, I have a handful of factoids here. Let me throw them out real quick. I had a note. I said, this episode was largely an excuse to introduce the white star, but that's okay because they needed a ship. You know, they needed to be able to get around. Right. You you know, you, you can only do Casablanca in space for so long before you have to be able to leave Babylon five and the B five shuttles weren't going to get it done. So they needed a ship and that was cool. Um, I did note the repairs being done and the first appearance of Marcus. Uh, they got a new med lab. Garibaldi and Franklin were saying something about an improved med lab, and I never really registered that before. Did you catch that? I did. And, uh, yeah, you could tell that the set had been upgraded significantly. It didn't look nearly as cheesy as, as it had in, in the previous couple of seasons. It always seems small to me. They have so much space on that station, and he's supposed to be, like, doing medical treatment for you know, hundreds of thousands of people, and yet the place looks the size of my apartment I was lived in in college. Well, we only see, I'm sure, just a portion of it. If you've ever yeah. walked into like a uh, an emergency room, you know, you got the waiting room, and then you see the room that you're in. You don't see yeah. all the other rooms that people are getting worked on. In. That's fair. That's true. 
Um, note that the Markab homeworld gets a mention when Sheridan talks about not liking grave robbers, and uh, I yeah. like that they I like that they were able to reference that since that was already established that they've already been looted. I, I wonder if the um, in the expanded canon of the show of the of the universe, I wonder if the Excalibur visits the Markab homeworld. I would be very curious about that. But anyway, yeah, um, we'll get we'll get to that later on. Uh, there are no Narn telepaths. The Shadows had a base on the Narn homeworld. Are these facts related? Hmm. Um, oh, I noted when Endowee leaves the conference room after meeting with Sheridan, Delin, and Ivanova, he forgets to take his data crystal with him, and yet he has it with him later when he visits Londo. So I guess somebody caught up to him and said, Mr. Endowee, you forgot your crystal. <laughs> or maybe he brought multiple copies. I don't know. There you go. Um, was... I know that, I guess that wasn't a Markab that was doing the cocktail liquor bottle juggling in the bar, but it kind of looked like one. It'd be, <laughs> be kind of funny if like, if like one Markab survived the extinction, extinction of his race and, and, and he's carrying on the legacy of the entire race by doing Tom Cruise liquor bottle juggling in the bar. You know, I, I think I now know what was going on in 1995 when this was filmed. <laughs> I think you figured it out, yeah. You're probably They focused right. on that guy a little bit too long. I was like, what is this? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. My big burning question before I was, well, it was my first burning question was how do they not know what the shadow ship is? But we got the answer to that, so I give them credit. My other right. burning question was how did Lanier not recognize Marcus in the bar if Marcus gave Lanier the ranger pin to identify him before? That's a good question. Like Lanier's blowing Marcus off like, I don't know who you are, leave us alone, we're trying to talk here. And, and then he's got the pin. I'm going, dude, did he have a mask on when he gave it to you? Or did he pass it through channels? I mean, they didn't make that clear. So that was kind of confusing right, to me. Right, yeah. I, I, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, here's a question I've asked for many years. Whenever something is left vague with JMS, I always assume that there's a real answer we haven't heard yet. But I've never heard the answer to what the first bowl of liquid was supposed to be that cooled the ranger pin. Remember, they say that there were three bowls of liquid. The first one contains some kind of ancient holy water. The second contains human blood, and the third contains Minbari blood. My theory was has always been that the first bowl contained Vorlon blood. If the Vorlons have blood, which is an open question, so I'm not sure. But that would kind of make sense, though. You know, something from the Vorlons would make sense. That would make sense. I, I just assumed it was just plain water, but that hmm. yours is much cooler. <laughs> I, well, I just think that the Rangers are as much to do with the Vorlons in some ways as they are with the Membari and the humans, and so. Right. But but right. but they wouldn't they wouldn't say so they would just say it's some kind of holy water, not really realizing it came from Kosh, you know. Unless the bowl right. said it, the bowl. How long has that bowl been sitting there? It has always been here. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Oh, last two things, and this is kind of significant. At the end of the episode, this is the one we talked about a while back. Remember we were talking about how there's another episode where Delenn basically just repeats her whole little speech again? This was it. Yeah, right. She does the, there are beings in the universe older than any of our races. There you go. So she gives that speech. And then finally... Delenn lies at the end, and we are reminded 
Well, we are not reminded. We just know that Mimbari can lie when it involves matters of honor. Correct. So the name of this episode is Matters of Honor. So right. I'm, I'm like, I guess the title of the episode refers to them lying at the end, but it's not entirely made clear. You kind of have to figure that out, right? I'm not sure. Right. Am I missing something? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they kind of put the name right on the tin, you know? It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. You, just, you just have to think about it. And so, yeah. I guess but so. But most people don't even think about the name of the, the episode no. after they put it up on the, the title card. No, that's what we're for. We're here to think about all this stupid stuff that nobody else has to waste their time thinking about. Right. So, um, all right, here we go. Time to get in the categories. Give me a sip of beverage and I'll get ready to get to it. Here we go. High point of the episode, Andy. For me, the high point was, well, I have, I have two. I all have right. Marcus. Marcus okay. is one of my favorite characters. So that's, it was cool good. to finally get him. And I got a little story about him that, that we can get into a little bit later. I thought Marcus was super cool, and then the White Star, which is one of the the mm. grooviest spaceships in all of science fiction. Yeah, that gets a big introduction, and it's just a gorgeous ship. And uh, that the, the the introduction was a lot more low key and 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 just kind of spur of the moment than I remembered being. I mean, it was just like, oh, and by the way, we got this really super cool starship. You know, yeah. there, there was no build up to it or lead up is like boom here you are you got one of the most powerful ships in the galaxy at your fingertips so this is the, yeah I, th- I thought that was kind of interesting you know is there any doubt that marcus came aboard to basically replace warren keffer because jms wanted a foot soldier but the pilot just didn't really fit where the story was going but a ranger does i think that that kind of makes sense I, I agree 100%, and I think uh, the the actor that plays Marcus has far more charisma than, <laughs> than the guy playing Warren Keffer ever Jason had, Carter. So. Yeah. Yes, I've seen Jason Carter at Dragon Con many, many times, and he is every bit as fun as you would imagine. He's a wacky, crazy, fun guy just partying and having a good old time. Just imagine. Okay. Just exactly what you would suspect. Yes. So he, here's my little story. I went to, I was a, a uh, um, I worked at a convention, a small science fiction convention in Indiana once. Okay. Um, and I was the liaison for uh, one of the um, guests. And that turned out to be, um, oh, what is his name? The actor who plays Dr. Franklin. Oh, Richard Biggs. Richard Biggs. Biggs. I was the, the con liaison for Richard Biggs. So I picked him up at the airport. Oh, wow. Um, I, I, I made sure he got to his hotel room. I made sure he got to all of his events on time and stuff like that. So I pretty much hung out with Richard Biggs for most of the weekend. How did you never um, tell us this before, Andy? Wow. <laughs> I was saving it for this moment because the other oh. con guest there was the guy that plays Marcus Cole. Ah. Um, so, and the two of them hung out all weekend. Oh, long. they're they're best so, buddies. They were, yeah, they were best buddies. Uh, oh yes. my goodness, it was an absolute hoot seeing these guys in action. Because you know, after half of the half of the stuff that we did, you know, was just hanging out with fans in the in the bar drinking. So mm-hmm. it was just those two guys were absolutely hilarious. I had a wonderful time with both of them. That's why I'm such a huge Marcus fan and such a huge Dr. Biggs fan. Um, I'm sorry, Dr. Franklin fan, because of those two actors. I mean, there it was, a, and they were so genuine and so nice. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they partied their butts off. I mean, it was <laughs> it, it was just a great week. And one of my favorite interactions with with any celebrity uh, at any point in time in my life. It that was is, really really super cool. That is so awesome. You've got to appreciate actors like that. That 
when the door opens for them, they go through it with gusto, right? In other words, some actors would do a low-rent sci-fi show, low-budget sci-fi show, brilliant brilliant as it is, right? That's still a low-budget show that not everybody would want to do. Some actors, would, like Robin Sachs comes to mind, that doesn't even put it on his resume, right? <laughs> um, some actors would do a show like Babylon 5 and then not even want to go to the conventions and just look down at the at the look down at the at the fans. Those guys knew that it was probably never going to get any better for them. I mean, they could do movies, they could do TV shows, but they knew, I think, that they were never going to have so many people that just loved them as they did after they did Babylon 5. And they rode that horse, and God bless them. Who I can't blame them. You know that's awesome. They they embraced the fans. They the fans loved them, and they loved them, and they loved the fans back. And they they took it for all it was worth, and that's awesome. Yeah, and this wasn't even a big convention. It wasn't a Dragon Con or mm-hmm. a, a San Diego Comic Con. This was a, a podunk little con, and it wasn't even in Indianapolis. <laughs> I'm not sure what city in Indiana it was in, but it was it was a tiny con. You know, it had maybe a couple thousand people there, mm-hmm. and it was it, it, they they owned the place. I mean, it was fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. That's like the one that I do every year here in uh, in the St. Louis area in Illinois. Um, we had. Claudia Christian one year, and that was very similar. So, you know, they get like one pretty big person every year, and there's about three or four thousand people at the con, and they have a great time, and it's awesome because they get all the attention. And it's you know, it's not right. like Dragon Con where you can be really really big and still be sharing the spotlight with two hundred other people. You know, their guests. So that's really right. Awesome. <laughs> so um, yeah, my high point was the White Star, and I noted down that. Even though people say it's a plucked chicken, and I agree, it does look like a plucked chicken, but that's okay because it's still a beautiful ship. It combines it combines the best of Minbari with the best of the Vorlons and kind of produces something that I think looks better than either one of their stuff. Right. And it is my second all-time favorite spaceship behind only my beloved Eagles from Space 1999, and I have something in the spoiler section about that very thing. Cool. You know, right. I will. I will say, as cool as the the White Star is, I hate the interior of the White Star because yeah. it looks like they're just on a set or it in does. a room. You know, that it doesn't really, it doesn't feel like they're in a in a ship in a vehicle because they're all just kind of standing around. You know, there's no chairs. There's I don't know. It 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 just doesn't feel like they're on a ship. No, and the 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 passageway leading in is way too big. You, there's yeah. if you look at the ship from the outside, there's nowhere that there could be that big of a corridor and the ship right. not be the size of the Enterprise. Which right, it's not. Right, right. It's not. It's it's bigger than the Millennium Falcon, but it's smaller than the Enterprise. It's kind of in between there. And it there's nowhere yeah. that there would be that big of a hallway. It needs to feel more I mean, I understand what they're going for is they're saying it's much more advanced. You know, the Earth ships are like submarines. This is like a you know the Enterprise or something, but it it it's just too big. But I agree, I agree with yep. you. But the, but the outside is gorgeous and it has those wonderful the 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 nose laser and the pulse cannons on the wings, you know, and the oh, oh it's yeah. just a it's, it's a beautiful it's a gorgeous ship. ship. It really is. Um, yeah. all right, what was your low point for this episode three hundred one? My low point, and it was uh, an emotional low point, was when Marcus was first interacting with Susan. Um. Mm. And, and we can talk more about it in the spoiler space, but uh, he tells that story about his brother dying, and then as as Ivanova's walking away, he just kind of gives her the once over, and then he gives her a twice over, 
and you can see you know stuff working in his brain so it, it just <laughs> kind of it, it kind of hit me a little bit it's like oh man yeah so i got you um my low point was actually the doofus that was trying to extort lanier and marcus and delin at the bar and then they get the fight going. <laughs> I just like I, I don't know that I needed all that. That was just a little little stupid. Yeah. They yeah. all the show always manages to find some idiot extra. You know what I mean? Whenever there's a scene, right. there's always some guy like let's fight. So that was kind of disappointing to me, but whatever. Um, do do you have an Orenzento Ari Benzane award this episode? I do not. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna. I've done this before, and I'm doing it again. I'm going to give my Orenzento Ari Benzane award to somebody that normally I would never dream of saying they overacted, and they're usually very, very good. I'm giving it to Mira Furlan because there's really? a, there's a couple of moments in this episode where she goes from being the the Eastern European Meryl Streep to being like cartoony action character, and it's partly the script, but like when she fights with the with the staff afterwards, she's like breathing heavily. And man, she is like William Shatner directed that scene. I'm thinking because she is just like, <laughs> and, and moving her head up and down and all. And I'm just like, yeah. I mean, you know, it wasn't quite that energetic of a fight scene. I, I, I get it. <laughs> it. Well, it was more her reaction after it, honestly. But um, right, right. But it was it was great to see her fighting. I'm, I'm I was glad to see her doing an action scene. I just felt that there were a couple of scenes in this episode that she did kind of chew on the scenery just a little bit. So. Just very lightly giving her this award. Um, now, this is tough for me, and I think probably was for you too. Both of these episodes tonight had several Babylon 5-ish scenes. So what was your most Babylon 5 scene? This was a big one. I mean, yeah. th- there was a lot going on in this one. Yeah. I mean, between the introduction of the White Star and Marcus and all that. But I had to go with Morden <laughs> on Earth talking with the earth force representative and and the psychor i mean talk about the mm. the uh triumvirate of of evil right there i mean it was <laughs> yeah it was just wow so yeah that was and i i completely forgot that that scene was even in this episode so when he yes. showed up in that office i'm like wow i forgot about that, that yeah that was, was big. a big big moment you know, when you when you say that, this episode kind of reminded me of All Alone in the Night last season, where you had kind of a lackluster episode for most of the way, and then there's that scene at the end where you're like, "Whoa!" Kind of shot. You know what what I saw didn't necessarily mean what I thought it did. Right. Right. Um, I like it. I, I do agree that that scene was like the most important scene in the episode, slightly ahead of the um, showing that the White Star could fight a shadow ship. That was big. That's important. Um, yep. but I thought the most Babylon five scene was Morden and it, I had Morden as well. Oh, by the way, I was going to say, you said, you know, you had the triumvirate of evil with, with Morden and the Psychor and earth Alliance politician, right? All you needed was a TNT network executive in there to get the full, <laughs> the full Monty, <laughs> the full house of evil on Babylon five. We're in a bellhop uniform. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> well, my my most Babylon Five scene is also Morden, but it's Morden and Londo dividing up the galaxy with the hologram. I thought that just really kind of summed up so much of the whole series, right? right there. And and how how snotty Londo was with. I mean, Londo is so clueless about who yes. Morden represents and and all yes. that stuff. How just you know he thought he could just dismiss him and was like, huh. yeah, 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 get out of here, kid. And Morden's just like. All right, all right. You'll you'll. I'll just go talk to Lord Rifa and uh, Riva. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> what do you think he's going to do? He's going to say, yeah, we did all this for you, and now we're just going to like walk away because you're nervous about it? I mean, right. it's like it's like Londo went and got a... If this was like just a crime thriller, Londo went and borrowed money from The Godfather, and now he's telling The Godfather's son, you know, like James Caan or whatever... <laughs> He's telling him, just don't come around here anymore. I don't want to see you, uh, in, you know, you, uh, what their name is anyway. Yeah, I don't want to see you guys anymore. Just yeah. just stop bothering me. And yeah, you know, James Conn's going to be like, oh, sure, yeah, we'll, we'll, we won't bother you anymore. And you're like, oh, his car's going to blow up. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's totally cranking that car up and it's blowing up. And that's what Londo, Londo seems to think he can tell right. them what to it- do. We, the audience, know what's going on, and we just cringe. Oh, like, oh, Rondo, yeah. please don't do that. No kidding. Just, I mean, it's it was bad that you got involved with them, but now you're just making it even worse. Right. Grief. So, yeah. Um, I do like the idea of the shadows being like the mob, though. That's I'm, I'm going to run with that metaphor in future episodes, I think, where <laughs> Morden is like the consigliere for the mob, yeah. you know, and all that. They, so. they are the, the space Corleones. The Corleones, that's the name I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Very good, very good. Um, all right, so what was your favorite character moment? Again, these two episodes had a lot of little character moments. Yeah, uh, I had two favorite character moments, but they all both had to do with the same character. So I, I'm I'm taking this one. Um, okay. The first one was uh, uh, Sheridan saying, "We spent too much time reacting instead mm. of acting." I Good. thought that was that was explicitly stating we're taking this, you know, going forward, we're taking it to the bad guys. And then uh, <laughs> the scene where Ivanova tells him, "You can't destroy a shadow ship; it's never been done before." And he looks at her, he goes. I've heard that before, and yeah. kind of gives her a knowing <laughs> wink. <laughs> yes, yeah, the Black Star. He's on the White yep. Star after he blew up the Black Star. That was kind of fun. So, yeah, that was a good one. That was good. With all due respect, I've been told that before. That was really good. I like that line a lot. Um, the my favorite character moment was when the 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 conspiracy of light brings Susan in and starts to light splain to her what's going on and she's like oh you mean where you're doing this and you're doing this and he's this and you're that and you're that and they're all just kind of like how did you know and then her reply is so great she's like when i don't know what's going on that's when you should worry and they're all just kind of like yeah i can't argue with that I love, they just totally, you know, if it had been anybody else, they'd be like, oh, she's up to something. She's spying, you know, whatever. When Susan says that, they're all just kind of like, yeah, makes sense. She would know, you know, <laughs> yep. 100%. And that, that that fits one of my one of my other categories. Okay. That is a great scene. That is a really great moment. I give JMS credit yeah. for thinking a little moments like that because that's really good. So yeah. what was your funniest moment? Or was that, that it? Exact, that okay. exact scene that we just talked about. And he, do, he, he does, uh, he treats Ivanova with a lot of respect, and he gives her, like you said, a lot of great little moments like that. He's he's very true to her character. I mean, that that's, you know, that is Ivanova. That is something that, mm. that it wouldn't, it, it doesn't surprise us as the viewer, and it didn't really surprise anybody in the, in, in the 
show either. I mean, Ivanova knows all this stuff because she's just that's just who she is. But yeah, when when she looked at them all and she goes, "Did I leave anything out?" That I just started laughing. <laughs> that is so great. Well, think about this. Sheridan tells us that he loves figuring out mysteries and solving this stuff. Ivanova just does it. <laughs> exactly. That. This was the and, and I I forget who wrote that episode as opposed to who wrote this episode. I, I don't think JMS wrote that ep, the, the episode when when uh, Sheridan brings that up. But this is the the ultimate show don't tell. You know. Yes. It's yes. The old yes. Axiom, show don't tell. This is this is the writer showing us what a what a um, a uh, uh, I want to say a bad word, but I won't because I know this is a PG show. But <laughs> what what an awesome character she is and and how much she's on top of things. As opposed to you know them you know having shared and come out and say uh, I'm really on top of things and I know this this and this because I'm into that sort of thing so yeah it, it was a good example of show don't tell point very well taken yes excellent 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 observation um, my funniest moment was when Kosh and Sheridan are having that conversation at the beginning. And Kosh is, this is like the first time Kosh is just totally screwing with him on purpose. Right. Usually Kosh is being enigmatic and mysterious. He's just screwing with him. He's just totally messing with him. Because, like, Sheridan is like, you know, well, I don't, I don't remember all of it. I didn't write it all down. But at the very end, you know, Sheridan's like, I hate when you do all this. And Kosh is like, good. <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, I'm just waiting as she often is, my wife was in the in the kitchen, kind of glancing at the TV, you know, while I'm um, watching this. And Kosh says that, and she goes, "What a jerk!" <laughs> <laughs> if anybody else said that to Sheridan, they would be a jerk. But that's just right. par for the course. But like I said, that's kind of that's that is jerky, even for Kosh. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's like taking the Kosh isms to a new level of impudence. Right, and you just... could see Sheridan was getting exasperated with it. <laughs> He's always getting exasperated with Kosh. That's just, uh... oh man, there was a lot of good. There were a lot of good lines. I wish I could remember them. I don't want to misquote them, but I just the last one there where he says, "I hate when you do that," and he says, "Good." You know, <laughs> was... I, I will say that that conversation with Sheridan was the first time Kosh seemed almost human. Yeah, it seemed like a, a character, not some enigmatic godlike being. But he seemed like a, a, a character, an alien, a relatable character that that we could, you know, say, oh, yeah, that's why he's doing that. I thought that was really cool. I, I don't remember, you know, that shift when from when I first, you know, watched the, the shows. Yeah. But this time it was very, very much in my face. I'm like, wow, he's, you know, now he's he's a he's another ambassador. He's another alien. He's not this this crazy enigmatic you know, mm. non sequitur that floats around and, and, you know, drops words of wisdom every now and then. Right. No, that's true. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, the first two seasons, for the most part, he's barely a character. He's just more like a, a mysterious force or, you know, he's like the, he's like the UFO in Space Invaders that just comes out occasionally and taunts you and disappears. <laughs> right. But now he's actually part of the cast and that's kind of a nice yep. change in a way. You don't want too much of it. You don't, I mean, he needs to be, he needs to stay scarce. Right. But, but, um, but it's nice to get a little more empathy for him and, and all that. Exactly. Um, yeah. Let's see. Well, who won the episode? I have two winners kind of related. I have the Rangers for escaping hmm. the uh, the trap set up by the Shadows and the nice. Centauri. 
and I had the Conspiracy of Light because they got a major player in Marcus added to them, and they got a groovy little spaceship to fly around in. Yeah, that's I, I can't argue with any of that. I had uh, Sheridan for proving the Lynn wrong and destroying a shadow ship, more or less. Although yeah. I don't know how many spare jump gates they have to keep doing that <laughs> right. lying around. And um, you know, you can just see the next time it happens, Sheridan's like, uh, Sher- um, well, what are they called? Sheridan's like, you know, the Drazi don't need a jump gate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't have to have one, really, do they? You know, we could eh, we could cut them off for a few weeks until we build them a new one. Um, uh, I have that, yeah, that Sheridan, and then I also have that a winner of this episode was that we first see Delin's awesome green and gray dress because up until now she's been wearing those red and blue, very feminine looking kind of very Asian looking, you know, dresses, and right. now she gets out what I call her going to war dress. This is the outfit. Yep. It's it's less frills. It doesn't have the floral kind of look to it. This one is just like. This is like Kung Fu Mistress Delin dress, you know. And um, uh, when, you know, back in the day when my girlfriend at the time and I were big Babylon 5 fans and doing Dragon Con every year, she had that. We custom made her a dress like that, and it looked awesome. So it was neat to, nice. neat to see it. Yeah, yeah. I've got pictures floating around on social media of, of the two of us. Um, so that I thought was I, – I, I thought that dress helped to win the episode because we'll enjoy it in season three. Well, here we come. How did you rate this episode? You know, as much Babylon 5 story as there was in this episode, there wasn't much of a story there. No. That said, it did have Marcus, and it did have the White Star, Mm -hmm. so I gave it three stars. Those two alone are worth Mm -hmm. one full star, so Mm -hmm. it it got three stars from me. I hear you. I gave it 2.5, but for pretty much the same reason. I said there was a nice little battle, more or less, and a few other moments, yep. but kind of a lackluster episode otherwise, especially for a season opener. I, I tend to like the season closers. I don't generally tend to like the season openers. And um, so this one was, eh, it was all right. So 2.5 right. for me. All right. Before we get into the other episode, we're going to zip through it pretty quick because these are these are fairly lightweight ones, other than the things that Andy just mentioned. Just uh, we got to thank our patrons. We also got some cool correspondence. I'm going to hit real quick, but just go to www.b5review.com and click on the button that says "Become a Patron" to help us out. Here are the folks who are currently uh, serving on the Gray Council, the Station Security, or as lurkers, as the case may be. They include Allison Rich, E.J. Alexander, Rich Hammett, his arms wide, Colonel Dad, Emmanuel Seaman, uh, Michael O'Connor, Stu Parker, Heather and Yancey Steingraber, Ice Cream Clone with a Boba Fett head, and Michael Halbrook. And we thank you folks so very much for helping to keep the show going. We have to have your support to do it. Um, Allison, who is one of our great supporters from the earliest days, she sends in some ratings for us, which we asked about. She says, my ratings for the next two. And this was back, you know, a couple of weeks ago. She says, I have never been a fan of Comes the Inquisitor. It brings Sheridan and Lynn closer together for sure. So for me, it's a 3.0. And I get that. But she says, The Fall of Night is definitely a 4.0, though. And I think we agree that that one is a great, great episode. Yeah. And then she has a nice little word for us here. She says, One reason you guys have the best B5 podcast is not only your format, but it's not overly jokey. Well, we kind of joke some tonight, so we're sorry, Allison. Uh, <laughs> as, as many of the others, 
are, but you guys are both students of history. I like this. I like this, Allison. I appreciate this. JMS imbued B5 with references to and lessons from history. It's one of the reasons that B5 is my favorite sci-fi series. You get it, and I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Isn't that cool? That is cool, and I've interacted with Allison on, uh, on, uh, through social media quite a bit, and she's, she's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. A couple of other notes she puts in. She says, Fall of Night is a Kai-centric episode, and I'm a Vorlon fangirl. We find out what he looks like. I agree. I like the Vorlons, too. I'm a lord of order. I don't like chaos, so I'm with you there. Um, oh, and she says, hey, guys, John Vickery is actually American, born in California, though he was trained at a drama studio, the drama studio in London. And I, that would make sense because he can kind of do American and British equally well. So I get it. And then she says, we want Negrath. We want Negrath. And I, I agree with that, too. <laughs> uh, good old ice cream clone writes in and says, comes the Inquisitor 4.0. Dead, 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 dead. I always forget the Narn story progression in this episode. I agree. I do, too. Jakar is amazing. The elevator scene with Veer is so moving. That, along with the Vorlon-Sebastian plot, really sets our heroes on the path to something greater, pushing the mystery and mythology further. Just enough mystery with the Jack reveal as well. And then uh, for Fall of Night, he gives it a 4.5. It's the thought that counts, he says. So much goodness. Yeah. Actors hitting it out of the park. Top-notch battle scene. Night Watch's power revealed. And a story that answers some questions but leaves you wanting so much more. Thanks again for a great ride, Van and Andy. Bring on season three. Hey, and that's what we're doing. So we appreciate it. Um, two more quick ones. Rich Hammett says, I'm listening to the Fall of Night on DVD commentary track right now at JMS. Uh, he just mentioned the Centauri hairstyle on the bomb and the tram. Yeah, we noticed that. Um, he says, I think the physics can work a little with a fall. I guess Sheridan falling. Just, just, just the initial jump from the tram. And then he says, do you really not recognize my tag phrase, his arms wide? And I said, I, I did not. I Googled it. It's a Star Trek The Next Generation thing. But I've only seen about half of Star Trek The Next Generation, so that would explain uh, why I haven't. Well, I didn't recognize it. So it's actually from one of the one of the best Star Trek Next Generation episodes. You should definitely look that one okay. up. It's, it's really good. I have watched some lately, but I must have missed that one. I, I kind of go okay. I have the Paramount Channel, the Paramount Plus Channel. Oh yeah, ne- and so Next I, Gen was kind of hidden this, but uh, yeah, they they had some yeah. spectacular episodes when they were good. They were good. I, I pay for Paramount Plus mainly to be able to watch old Perry Mason episodes, but occasionally I watch a Star Trek too. So there you go. I'm, I'm trying to That's soak funny. up Perry Mason because I'm going to be writing another crime novel and I want to have a courtroom scene. So I want to have some Perry Mason type antics in it. Oh, very good. There we go. And then the very last thing, Allison Rich wrote in again later, and she said, great episode. I have a question for you. Having recorded this episode, oh, the, this is in reference to the one with Bobby. Uh, having recorded this episode back in 2013 and now doing this podcast, have you altered any of your feelings about the show or have you amplified any of your feelings from 2013? And I would just say it's what you and I have talked about all along, which is that I came to appreciate the individual episodes more. And I, you know, Bobby and I kind of talked about how when we first watched the show, it was all about the arc, the, the big, long story. And anything that got in the way of that, we were, you know, I was impatient with. I'm like, let's get on with it, get on with it. Because back then you had to wait a week at the least and maybe months, you know, to get the next installment of the big story arc. So I had no patience for little individual episodes. But now having the whole thing at my disposal in many, many different ways now, on DVD and on Plex Server Digital and on HBO... 
I can enjoy those individual. I can enjoy season one so much better now because I've got season two and season three and season four and season five. You know what I mean? It's it's. I'm not impatient yep. anymore. Does that make sense at all? <laughs> that makes complete sense. Yeah. Now that we've we've read the book for the first time, we can go back and read the individual yes. chapters and individual scenes and appreciate them more. Absolutely. Yes, that is absolutely right. All right. Well, we appreciate you all writing in. If I missed anybody, I'm sorry. Uh, as I always say. Uh, Patreon required me to set up a separate email for a separate Patreon account for this show. And sometimes I forget to check that email and I miss the questions. I miss the comments. So be patient with me and I try to get everybody on because we really do appreciate your questions and comments and they're wonderful. So Andy, shall we talk about 302 convictions? Let's. All right. I'll give the quick summary here. A series of bombings threatens the station, and Ivanova calls on some unusual investigators to help solve the mystery. So this is production number 302 from November 13th, 1995, written by JMS and directed by one of the Mount Rushmore of B5 directors, Michael Vehar. And he's sometimes called Lawrence Michael Vehar. He's sometimes called Mike Vehar or Vijar, whatever you want to call it. But anyway, he's one of them. Uh, the guest stars this time Patrick Kilpatrick as um, Robert Carlson. I have something to say about him in a minute, as you might guess. We get yeah. Louis, Louis Turin returns, this time as brother Theo. He was the original draw in A Voice in the Wilderness. Yep. He, uh, he had to leave for, for health reasons for a while and didn't get to be draw in the, uh, the, the Long Twilight Struggle, right? Yeah. Right. But he's back now in a different role. And then we get Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa as Marishi, the security guard. I thought that was interesting to see Tagawa as just a regular security guard. He usually plays like a, an evil Asian villain in like Jet Li movies and stuff, you know? Right. He's always a heavy. I, I know yeah. him from the, uh, the Mortal Kombat movie. But, there you uh, go. Yeah, he's always a heavy. And I think it's because of that, that severe look to his, his face. Yeah. Yes. And his his uh, his voice it comes across as he can give the most innocent line, and it always comes across as menacing. He's a great yes. actor. He is very cool, very very cool. And it was good to see him doing something different. I'm I, I right. like when people will do Babylon Five and not be too you know too stuck up right. about it. You have any when, notes? You know, oh, go ahead. When, when he's when he started complaining about you know not getting his vacation, I was fearing for Garibaldi's life. <laughs> Yeah, you you wouldn't want to cross him, I don't think. Right. <laughs> it's not like like Zach. With Zach, you slap him around and go, Zach, get out of here. With that right. guy, you're like, oh, c- c- can I can I get you an extra extra pillow? <laughs> uh, security security man, uh, Morishi. Yes. Any any so, factoids or notes? I do have a couple. I have two cool. factoids, and uh, they're both related. Uh, Bill Mummy's scene in the <laughs> there's a couple scenes when he's in the uh, in the hospital in the med lab. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually not there for that. That was actually his, uh, his, uh, a, a dummy, a, a, a mate, you know, just a, a, a stand in really? for him. Yeah. They used his, when they, when they took a face cast for his, his, uh, Minbari makeup, they kept the face cast and then they just painted that up for, cause his dad had just died. So he was at the funeral for a portion, a good portion of the filming of this episode. So in that whole scene when he's in there, that's not really him. That's wow. just his his face. And after <laughs> talk about phoning it in, man. Right, right. After this is the second part to this. After they got done filming the episode, uh, Peter Jurassic approached Bill Mummy and said, "You know, 
that scene that we did together in the med lab when you were just not moving, I was super impressed because he <laughs> had no clue that that wasn't Bill Mummy. He said, you know, when I was like waving my hand in front of your face, you didn't even blink. I, that <laughs> Kudos to you for that. And Bill Mummy's like, uh, I wasn't even there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's so good. Um, well, I had a couple of things. JMS was very excited at the time about the explosion effects that they did because they actually used real fire instead of crappy CGI fire for this episode, and that was good. So he was just all excited on, on the internet and everything about, you know, especially the one where they where Londo has to jump into the elevator as the fire goes yeah. by. They filmed yeah. it like upside down, and the fire was just dropping straight toward the camera and stuff. And then, and, and it was a miniature hallway. It was a, it was, it was Peter Jurassic against a green screen. And then they had a miniature of the hallway they set on fire. <laughs> it was pretty good. That's so, cool. Yeah, I thought the between the the uh, cinematography and the the sets, mm-hmm. they did a, an amazing job with with those bombing scenes. Uh, they were it was very effective. It, they looked. You know, like real yeah. disaster areas. It was some of the best set dressing and some of the best cinema. There was one scene when the camera was just going through all the debris before it got to the the two characters that were you know kneeling down and talking. I think it was Sheridan talking to um, um, Garibaldi, and the the camera walked you know walked through the whole scene. You could see all the smoking debris and the people being carried yes. out until it stopped and focused on the two main characters talking. And I thought that was very effective. It was really well done. I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually had a note that there was very interesting camera work in this episode. And, and yeah. the, the part I noticed, in addition to what you just said, uh, um, was, was there was a big meeting and with a bunch of people sitting around the table, and there were two things about it. One was that they kind of put the camera at some interesting angles to like have some people in the foreground and others in the background that were talking. So that was kind of interesting, rather than just yep. a straight-on shot. And also, I liked that they showed like eight or nine people, because we get so used to just seeing the main cast at a meeting like right. that. But yeah, there, there were, were people at that table I didn't even recognize. Exactly. Exactly. There were like other medical personnel, other command personnel. Yep. I kept wondering if Major Atumbe was one of them. <laughs> I've got to see him before it's over. You know? There's like a whole other Babylon 5 show that they could do with what happens. Like They call it Babylon 5 Nightside. Right, right. And as you said, you were the one that's cast uh, Yafit Kato in that role. I think you'd be awesome. Absolutely. Oh, that's man. Great. That would be so you know, good. I, I will say this episode felt like it, it, it took the minuscule budget and actually mm. made it go further than, than yes. ever before. My wife actually sat down after watching the first couple minutes, stopped what she was doing, whatever she was doing, sat down next to me and watched the whole episode with me because she, she thought it was really cool. Awesome. Yeah, we like when we impress Andy's wife with this show. That's always a good sign. It's always a good sign. <laughs> she is not easily impressed with no. sci-fi. She has no no patience for it. So Right. I Believe me, I lived a similar situation. And so, yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> Um, there was a couple of things. Uh, JMS, the joke, how many Centauri's it take to change a light bulb? That was actually one that fans had been passing around the internet. And JMS said that that was the, he, he can't normally take suggestions from specific fans to use on the show, but so many people had repeated it that he felt like he could get away with it. And that was as close as he could get to like saluting the fans. So that was neat. Right. That's cool. And Netter's syndrome, of course, relates to Douglas Netter, the, the executive producer of the show, 
And JMS said that when when Netter watched the show, he was, quote, amused, chagrined, and promised swift and terrible revenge. (laughs) Um, And finally, I just had to make a note that we kind of got the return of Garibaldi in this episode. Yep. It had been a while since he got to do anything. Right. And yeah, he got to he got to get his his cop on for sure. I mean, he mm-hmm. you know he was in charge of a major investigation, was you know ordering people around, figuring stuff out. You know, he didn't have a second in command that was completely clueless, right? Right, or or murderous, um, or, or murdered. Yeah. <laughs> well, you and I commented that the end of season two, the you know the supporting cast really didn't get to do a whole lot, and yeah. so it was nice to see some attention to, to Ivanova and some attention to Garibaldi again. And even Franklin got some. So yes. that was nice. That was nice. Um, we didn't get, we haven't got any Veer yet, interestingly. Right. So I think he's the only major character we haven't seen yet this season after these two episodes. Uh, Talia. Or not Talia. Uh, Lita. The, the other. Yeah. yeah, Lita. We haven't I, had Lita reintroduced yet. Well, she gets kind of a, like right. a, no spoiler, but I think she gets kind of a reentry. Right, but Veer's around. He just hasn't done anything yet, right. so he's and probably hiding Zach, out. Zach has graduated to the opening credits now as as a regular yes. as a regular cast member. He's no longer guest star. Congratulations to to Jeff Conaway for making right. the opening credits because everybody I think everybody liked him. He was a very likable guy. He was, and it was really sad as we we're watching mm-hmm. the credits because my wife knows the mythology around Babylon Five and how so many people have died. She goes, "All right," as as the credits are, are opening up. She goes, "All right, so tell me who died," and I'm just going through, <sighs> dead, dead, alive, dead. dead. I mean, it grief. was depressing. It is. Oh man. And and it seemed like every every couple of years somebody knew. It's really yep. the one that still just totally blows my mind is um is Mira Furlan. Yeah. I thought she lived to be a hundred. I saw yeah. no reason why she wouldn't. Uh, Richard Biggs devastated me because that was yeah. so unexpected. And I mean, he was such a lively. Young, he was still young. No, absolutely, and and, and, and super healthy. Out of the blue, super, right? Super healthy. It was completely, completely out of the blue. It, yeah, I think I think I think Biggs is the most shocking one overall. But right. the one that still hits me the most now is Mira Furland, just because. I just never dreamed that anything right. was wrong with her. And then just, just right. like one day she's gone and they never even really said what was wrong with her. So I don't even know. Well, it was, it was some weird, I forget what it was. I was, I was trying to explain it to my wife and I forget what it was. It was, it was something really weird and out of the blue, like Legionnaire's disease or something like that. I forget. I'll have to research yeah. that. Yeah. Cause I, when I emceed for them a few years ago, I guess it's longer ago than it seems to me now, but she was great. So I never would have ever yeah. dreamed that anything had happened to her. So yeah, I mean, she crazy. she was definitely not you know young. She was in her sixties, I believe. But um, yeah, it was still it was still surprising because yeah, she was another one that just seemed so lively and 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 healthy. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Um, so I guess I covered all of mine. Yeah, because Garibaldi was the thing I wanted to mention. Okay, all right. So what was your high point of this episode? I'm really curious. You know, <clears throat> my high point and. I, I got to say, this episode has one of my favorite Babylon 5 scenes uh, of the entire series. So it, it's going to make a couple of my categories here. But it was the elevator scene. Yes. Jakar seems to have his best scenes with, with, with an elevator involved. I don't, I, I don't know quite what <laughs> It's that true. Is, but yeah, this, the elevator scene is so perfect. It's got humor. It's got, you know, it's got character. Um, it's, it's got, you know, Babylon Emotion. 5 implications. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's just a really... 
and it's so superbly acted. Both those actors mm. just just destroyed the scene. It was just wonderful. So they, yeah, that was the high point. I was, I had almost forgotten that it was in this episode until you know he started marching towards the elevator. I'm like, oh crap, that's right. That shows up in this. This is that scene. So yeah, it was uh, it, it was really cool to see that. It it really made me smile. Yeah, the the elevator scene kind of goes on through multiple scenes. So I agree with you. And the one that I specifically picked was when Jakar has to explain why he's not helping Londo. And I thought that right. I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, he's right. Yeah, you know what I mean. In other words, I can kill you and be killed, and how many ever Narns get killed, including my family. Or I can just sit here and you die and nothing happens to to, to the Narn or my family. So what right. do you think I'm going to do, Londo? Which what do you really think I'm right. going to do? And Londo is just aghast because I think that you know as much as this scene is is Andreas's, I I think it's also fascinating to see the realization that Londo has that he calls Jakar insane or whatever. But I think if you really, if you got Londo good and drunk, you know, and you asked him, I think he would totally understand what Jakar was saying there. Absolutely. And, yeah. and the line that got me was when he, when Londo asked Jakar, he said, don't you want to live? And Jakar responded, not as much as I want to see you die. Yeah. Yeah. And he just laughs. That laugh yeah. is kind of like, it's like 75% humor, 25% agonizing pain, you know? Yep. And, man, Andreas can convey that like nobody. Right, because he cuts such a, a, oh. a intimidating physical form. Yeah. You know, you would expect him to just be this, this overly vi- – and the way he was portrayed in the first season. Yes. You would, you would expect him to just, while Londo was out, just strangle him or something like that, and nobody would know any different. But, yeah, he just – I mean, just hit, like like you said, that laugh. Oh my goodness, he he portrays mm-hmm. a whole different side of of Jakar than than what you would expect just by looking at him. It's just amazing. It's, as as I believe we we touched on this during our four person season two re, uh, review, where I think we all kind of agreed on this. I forgot who actually said it. That you know, as great as this show is, we don't deserve what those two do on this show. Right, right. They're just they're just a whole other level beyond anything else on this show. Everybody that else was, is doing good work. They're doing transcendent work. Right, and and I I will I, I, that was such a great line that I'm just going to take credit for it right now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Very good. With with apologies to Bobby and Nathan, I, that was that was definitely that was absolutely me. There we go. That was good. I'll I'll buy it. I'm with you. <laughs> well. Did you? I, I actually did find a low point in this episode. So did you? I didn't. I, I'm looking <laughs> at it right now, and I have that. That is completely blank. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what mine is, and you tell me if you agree or not. I my low point is every now and then Babylon Five reveals to us that they hadn't. You know, JMS had not guessed in 1990 whatever where things would be in the 22s in the 2022 not 22s because the right. show is in 22s but the 2022s. Facial recognition software has been replaced <laughs> by a group of monks watching TV. <laughs> I'm like, really? I, I noticed right when he mentioned, "What are we supposed to do? Let the computers do it?" I'm like, mm. well, duh. <laughs> but you can't, you can't really hold that against Jim. No, <laughs> no. Nobody knew that back then. But yeah, I got a good chuckle out of that. That yeah. that was that was funny. <laughs> it, it's it's basically going to be funny one day when we find out that all the facial recognition software that 
that they've been using all over the world has actually been rooms full of monks watching TV. <laughs> That's all it ever has been. It's not computers. It's been a bunch of guys and girls yeah. watching yeah, TV. Yeah, got a bunch of Shaolin monks that are just <laughs> watching TV, yes. watching all those cameras. Oh, I believe it. Oh, 100% believe it. I love it. <laughs> Um, oh gosh. All right. I've got a Zorinento or even Zane award winner for sure. Do you? I, I do too. I, I, the bomber, the mad, <laughs> yes. the mad bomber, what bombs at midnight. I mean, it, <laughs> he, but the actor, it could have been so much worse, you know, it could, it, it, it in, in the hands of a lesser actor, it could have been absolutely ridiculous. I think it was more the writing than the acting, but yeah, he was a little bit over the top. Well, when he first starts out on there, I thought, okay, this isn't terrible. And then he starts channeling John Malkovich. Right. right. That's what my wife said. She goes, that's like John Malkovich. Yes. He's, he that's wants... hilarious that you said that. Well, it's. I don't think that it's something, that, something brilliant that either one of us came up with. It's just kind of obvious that that's what he's right. doing. Yeah. He, he's, he turns into Malkovich in stuff like um, Con Air, you know. And yeah. uh, not that that's bad. It's just weird to see one actor pretending to be another actor pretending to be a character. But uh, right. It was like watching being John Malkovich. Yeah. Wow. He literally <laughs> was being John Malkovich. So that was he's my he's my award winner, and I don't feel the least bit bad about it. But I no, he was entertaining, yeah. though. He was, was, I guess the problem is he goes so over the top that it takes you out of the scene. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why I got his name on here. But imagine the actor who did Ari Benzane getting this role instead. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, that would, yeah. Oh, wow. I don't, even, I don't want to. Yeah. I'm sorry, Andy, but no, I will not imagine that. Or, or Richard Mall, if they had cast oh, Richard Mall as this guy. Oh, Lord. I, I, guess, I guess the thing is, you're wanting to, like, think, oh, how's Sheridan going to get out of this and what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, you're instead of thinking that, you're thinking, why did he make this choice of performance, yeah. you know, and what did the director really say? And that's not yeah. what you're supposed to be thinking at that moment. You're not supposed to be thinking about the actor's choices he made. You're supposed to be thinking about the story. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, most Babylon 5 scene. Uh, I'm going to go back to that elevator scene. It just, yeah. it, it, it lays out their, their entire relationship right there. It um, is. It, it was really cool. And my wife hasn't watched much more in 20 minutes of you know the the entire season two got mm. instantly what was going on between those two without even knowing any of the the, the background so yeah no i believe it for sure yeah 100 percent slam dunk yeah um uh, favorite character moment um i actually have the, not the elevator scene but when malari was in with lanier yes that's was, what i have was yeah because that got a glimpse of the real Londo Malari that we all used to know and love that mm-hmm. has kind of been buried by all of his bad choices lately. Yep. And it was it was such a lonely moment for him because he was sitting there. Finally, he got to talk to his friend again. Finally, he got to talk to somebody on, on just a friendly, you know, telling jokes and, and goofing off with them. And the friend couldn't even respond. So it was it was kind of sad. And, you know, as you say that, I think about this. I think that if this were somehow real life, <clears throat> Veer would have been there too. Because Veer and Lanier obviously are kind of friends, professional yeah. associates. And he would have been there not only sympathizing with Lanier, but also sympathizing with Londo. And, right. and, and Veer would have been very, I don't want to say happy, but I think Veer would have been very satisfied to know that it was hitting Londo that hard. 
that Londo was still right. capable. But because it's a TV show, they couldn't include Veer if he didn't really do anything. And since he wasn't going to do anything, they had to leave him out. So right. this is just one of those cases where it being structured for a TV show a little bit takes something away that we should have gotten to see. And I, under, I understand why he wasn't in it. But it's too bad we didn't see Veer there sitting by the bedside, too. You know, I will counter that and say I think having Veer there would have taken away from the moment. Yeah. I think yeah. it was a really powerful Londo moment, and uh, I, I With, think having Veer there would have would have taken away from the seclusion that Londo yes. was feeling right then. No, again, I, th- I think you're right. I just think that in real life he would have been anyway. Right, yeah. That's yeah. a good point. So because it's a TV show, it has to bow to drama. Right. And, what you're describing is drama as opposed to just people acting like people. So, yeah, 100%. Good point. Good point. Um, I also, by the way, had a note here, Jakar complaining to Garibaldi, but honestly now I can't even remember what – I don't even remember that. I've already kind of – it went kind of in one eyeball and right. out the other. So, And I'll that just, was a really that was a really cool, nicely shot scene as well, the way that they were doing that. It was all in, in, in one long take as they were walking through the hallway. Um, okay. Even when even when uh, um, Jakar had to split around like a, a an opening or something like that, he they stayed focused on on Garibaldi and Jakar came back into the scene. So I thought that was a really sharply shot scene. Was was that when Jakar was saying it was the it was clearly the Centauri that did the bombing or whatever? Yes. Yes. Okay. He was trying to blame he was trying to blame the Centauri on it, and, right. and uh, um, Garibaldi didn't didn't want to hear anything about it and he was walking through the hallway yes. you know through the different corridors and the camera was tracking them i mean it was mm. you know obviously somebody in front walking backwards but it was really cool the way they shot that i do remember when jakar kind of like went around something one way and garibaldi went the other and then jakar standing right. and has to catch up or something yeah right yeah and then um at the same time was when londo was telling sheridan that it was obviously the narn right Yes, that was yeah. the next thing. Yeah, yep. Yeah, there we go. Okay, we got it sorted out. What was your funniest moment? You know what? I want you to, to respond to this one first because I have to. Uh, I have to try to remember. I have okay. a note written down, but <laughs> I, I, all I have written down is nuttiest idea. I, somebody <laughs> said that wouldn't be the nuttiest idea or something like that. And I, for the life of me, my mind is going completely blank as I, to who said that. It happens to me once every episode on here. I totally sympathize. Um, my funniest moment, I had a couple. One early, one late. In fact, one is the very beginning and the other is the very end. Which is interesting that this episode, as serious and dark as this episode gets in the middle, it's funny at the beginning and funny at the end. So at the beginning... When Garibaldi and then Zach are dealing with the Drazi religious pilgrims, and this is not the only time Garibaldi has to deal with religious pilgrims. You remember there, at one point there's the guy yeah. that has the knife, and he says, you're trying my faith, and Garibaldi says, you're trying my patience or something. Well, this right. time this time they're, they're, they've heard that Droshala, who lights the path, he lights the way or whatever, has visited the garden, and they want to they come on the station, and they start poking Zach. <laughs> And he's like, you know, I don't really want to be poked, actually. I just love Zach's reaction is not leave me alone or quit. He's like, I, you know, I don't I don't want to be poked, you know. And, right. he says, and then he sends him off to the plant. <laughs> yeah, that plant was actually in the garden. And they're all there, like poking the plant. And that's, man, the Drazi. I don't want to say this show has a blatant anti-Drazi agenda. But, <laughs> but, right. but the Drazi do kind of come off as both mean and stupid a lot of the time, to be honest, right? But, I mean, but in the last episode, he was the Drazi pilot was very heroic. Yeah, so yeah, 
I, well, hey, when they're on your side, you you can't do much better right. than than have one on your side. But uh, right, and they got a when, super cool spaceship. But when when it's time to draw out the purple and green bandanas, <laughs> though, you better get out the way. Right. Um, my other funniest moment was at the end when Londo and Jakar are being rescued, and Londo go is mentions a couple of things, and he says, "I hate my life," and Jakar says, "So do I." <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, great. That was a good one. That yeah. was a good one. Yeah. That's pretty pretty good. Pretty good. All right. I, did you, you know what? I, I can't for the life of me remember who said it. And it it, it bothers me so much because I laughed out loud. That wouldn't be the nuttiest idea. I rem- I, th- I want to say it was Garibaldi. <laughs> I was going to say it sounds like Garibaldi to me, but I couldn't I couldn't bet on it. Yeah. Would it something to yeah. do with when Sheridan is going to go inside and meet the bomber maybe or something? That could be. when he, Some, Yeah. Oh, something like that. Oh, what the, what see now that's clicking that's clicking because there's the bit where share where he says just you know just don't do anything stupid and sheridan says too late right you know like i'm yeah. already going in there so yeah. and it was Me- kind of funny when he when he shoved the uh the link down his pants I thought <laughs> that was kind of <laughs> yes and then it beeps yeah uh, <laughs> I, I love that i love that garibaldi tells the guy over the on, on at cnc don't let anybody page the captain right, <laughs> right. and then right what made it go off was it he bumped the table or something or he did no something he sat that, down the, the guy yeah. told him to sit down he goes ah, i'd rather stand he's like oh. sit down so he sat down and sure it enough beeped yeah there you go all right who won the episode I would say that brother Theo won the episode. Yes, ding 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 yeah. ding ding ding! You got it! You yeah. got! It. I can't believe it. Yeah, I, you know, I thought I thought for sure they're setting them up for something bigger, and and they do show up a couple more times, mm-hmm. the monks. But uh, I I thought he was going to be a regular, but uh, yeah, he he uh, he came across as as a little goofy at first, even to Ivanova, but he proved his worth there at the end by he by did. inventing facial recognition software. So. <laughs> Organic. They have organic right. technology like the Shadows and the Vorlons. That's cool. Right. Yeah, I said Brother Theo. I said everybody else just survived this episode. He actually won. So good for Brother yeah, Theo. Yeah, exactly. Um, what's your rating? I gave this one a three. I think it was it was mostly a standalone episode. There wasn't a mm-hmm. lot of arc stuff in this one yet because um, it's still early in the third season. But mm-hmm. uh, I thought it was a really well shot episode. And the elevator scene alone gives it a, an extra yes. 0.5 stars. So I gave it a three star. You, you're reading my mind. That's exactly what I said. 3.0 and the elevator scene made it made it what it was. And I remind you, I pointed out before, there are more standalone episodes in season three than you think there are. And we're seeing that. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember that discussion. Yeah. And we've got two more coming up next time. Yes, we do. So, speaking of which, um, before, we get, before we get to our spoiler space for just a little bit, because we're almost uh, out of time... Our next installment will cover 303, A Day in the Strife, the one I always think of as the Death Probe, and 304, Passing Through Gethsemane, which I always think of as the Doc from Deadwood slash Grima Wormtongue from Lord of the Rings shows up. Yep. Oh, I love him. I love Brad Dorif, also known as Piter from the, from the original Dune movie, the 84 Dune movie. Right. I and, love uh, Brad Dorif. He's great. He's, he's uh, Brother Edward, isn't he? Yes, that is correct. That's a good episode. We'll, we're going to have a good time talking about it. All right, yeah. here we go. Stand by. Jump gate activated. All right, we have entered spoiler space. I hope it's not Vorlon space. It is spoiler space. And do you have any spoiler stuff you want to throw out there? I just have a couple of things. 
You know what? I really don't, except for the uh, that scene in um, in uh, the the first episode we in three hundred one, mm-hmm. where uh, um, Marcus was talking with Ivanova, and you could kind of see him a little bit yeah. getting interested in her and falling for her, and we all know where that relationship goes. So. Oh, do we ever? Yes, we do. Yes, yeah. we do. But um, yeah, what 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 a, a fascinating love story that turned out to be. Mm-hmm. After the last relationship story we had with Ivanova, you know, it was uh, yes, it, 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 kind of interesting. And uh, and man, I love Marcus. He's such a great character, and and to see him make that final sacrifice for her was such a Marcus thing to do. Yet it was still so sad. And when you look at season five and Byron, I'm like, oh, season five, no Susan. Oh, how terrible, how terrible. Then you're like, she'd have been with Byron. Man, I'm glad Susan wasn't in season five. (laughs) Yeah. I sure am glad she skipped that season. Right. Dodged the bullet there, Ivanova. Yes, she did. Man. Well, I can't wait until we get to season five because I watched season five episodes just once and only once and never went back to them. Oh, wow. Um Except, be... except of course, for the final episode. I, I've seen that several times because that oh, was yeah. really the, the the season four finale. Season anyway. four. But anyway, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I'm really looking forward to going through season five and watching mm-hmm. all those episodes again. I think we'll enjoy a lot of it the way we did season one. Honestly, I think I'm looking forward to it too. I yeah, I I, I think that as well. Um, I had a note about Marcus and Susan, but you covered that very thoroughly. Um, I said. The series loses so many good characters and actors after season four as part of the story, and most of them, it had to because they were part of the Shadow War, they were part of the Earth War, and so they're done. You know, their their arcs are done. But we didn't have to lose Marcus, and I kept thinking, I'd never thought about this before, but how much better might season five have been if Marcus had still been around? Right. Oh. Because he brought that kind of upbeat puppy dog happiness that you know you it, it would have been nice to have. Right, I I agree. Um, oh man, see, oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to talk about season five because of the, uh, the way season it was it was actually truncated and season four and and what the care. But what would Marcus have done in season five? You know, I mean, I know it's true, it's true, yeah. but. It just seems like season five is so dark and dour and humorless in a lot of ways. It is. Right. It, it is. Um, and, we've lo- and we lose so many characters that we like that yeah. there's not a lot left to make us excited and happy except for just a few. So, eh, you know, yeah. L- Marcus Lock- might have helped. Right. Lockley just doesn't, isn't, no. doesn't, carry, doesn't, doesn't carry the show like uh, Ivanova did. For sure. I, I enjoyed seeing her on Crusade, but on Babylon 5, she just never worked for me. Right, and, and she was supposed to be, her whole shtick was supposed to be that she'd been on Clark's side. But as we get to know her, and she's kind of a good person, I just couldn't imagine her being on Clark's side. It's either it's yeah. either she was on Clark's side and she's a crappy person, or she's the person we get to know and she wasn't on Clark's side. I just never could buy both of those things at the same time. I I would have agreed with you up until 2016. And then hmm. that that opened my eyes to okay. how people can fall politically and still be good people, and then make you wonder why. How can okay. they think that way and still be a good person? But yeah, right. we'll leave it nice and vague like that. That's fine. Yes. Um, the other question I had: um, It was interesting that Lanier got trapped behind a transparent door and nearly died in this episode. Given what happens with him and Sheridan in season five. Yep. 
it's like I the same thing in reverse but on <laughs> purpose it was creepy i'm like wait a minute this is whoa that blew my mind yeah. um and then last thing and you'll appreciate this andy if you liked the one white star it's like doritos they're gonna make more <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna make more white stars and they number them and you remember i said earlier i love the eagles on space 1999 yeah. I love two things about them. One, their design, the way they work. They're beautiful ships, beautiful models. Yeah. I've got like multiple models of them all over my house. And number two, they were there were just bunches of them. They made new ones all the time, and they wrecked them all the time, and the and they numbered them. And the white stars are the same way, and that is so cool. It reminded yeah. me of Eagles on Space 1999. <laughs> and I loved it. They're the two yeah. coolest ships. They're my two favorite ships. And they both come in fleets with numbers, and I really, really appreciate that. And speaking of which, I'd forgotten about this, but the opening credits when Ivana, when when Claudia Christian does a little quarter rotate turn in her credits, somebody told me that she was emulating um, uh, Barbara Bain on the Space 1999 opening credits. I don't know if that's true or not, but I like it. I want it wow. to be true. That is a deep dive right there. Mm-hmm. Well, not that deep for me because I think about Space 1999 a lot. It's my <laughs> second favorite show, you know. But, but and the opening credits, man, they're they're kind of violent. I mean, the other ones, yeah. you know, you had a, a rousing speech about you know what Babylon Five meant and where it was going in the future. This one was like, and then it stuff hit the fan and <laughs> things blew up. <laughs> oh, I remember the. The, my first reaction the first time I saw the opening credits, you know, there's like the Bellin Project was our best, best for peace. It failed, and you're like, oh crap! <laughs> but then they tell, but in the year of the Shadow War, it became something greater, and that's really really cool. So, yeah, I I, I like that a lot, and I love how the credits change every season; they just get better and better. Yeah, and the, and that's the one thing about season five you you can't say is not awesome as the opening credits are just so good, right? Right. Like a summary. So, all right. Well, I think we've covered things thoroughly enough for tonight. Are you good for tonight? I am definitely good for tonight. All right. Let's wrap things up. The Babylon 5, the White Rocket Babylon 5 review podcast will return in two weeks' time with A Day in the Strife and Passing Through Gethsemane. I like those two titles very much, and they're interesting episodes. So, uh, Andy, we will talk to you in two weeks. And uh, otherwise, thank you very much. All right. Sounds good, man. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.